That's what heaven's going to be like, folks. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy. And we're going to see things that we've never seen before, hear things that we've never heard before. And it's going to be wonderful to be there one day. Amen. Our church should reflect the reality of heaven every time we gather together, that we worship in spirit and in truth. The truth was the thing that was lacking in the church in Thyatira. And so we're going to see the contrast between the church in Ephesus who loved, uh, who, who lacked love, and the church at Thyatira who loved but lacked truth. And so uh, this is the longest letter written to the smallest church in the smallest city in the book of Revelation. So find your place there in Revelation chapter 2. We're beginning in verse 18 this morning. Verse 18, we see a vivid picture of how sin erodes the effectiveness of the witness of God's people in this text. And so I've entitled the message this morning, The Dying Church, because the church in Thyatira was dying. The church begins to die when the people substitute their selfish, sinful desires for the will of Christ in the church. It's a not thy will be done, but my will be done. The church that persists in that sinful rebellion will surely die. But on the other hand, The church that belongs to Jesus and allows Jesus to take his rightful place in the church as the head of the church, that church will never die. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So that's our biblical truth this morning. The church that belongs to Jesus will never die. The church of Thyatira had ceased to belong to Jesus and had begun to belong to Jezebel. And we're going to hear about her. But who is Jesus? If we look at the description of Jesus, he is the one, the Bible says, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And what that means and what that says to us before we read the rest of the, the, par- the next paragraph, Jesus is the Son of God. This is the only place in the scripture, uh, in, in John's revelation, that this phrase is used about Jesus, that he's the son of God. And it highlights the divinity of Jesus and the authority that he has over the church. And then eyes like flames of fire, which that's part of John's revelation in chapter one, that the one that he sees on the throne has eyes like flames of fire. What does that mean? Well, he sees everything. He's omniscient. He is perceiving even to that which is done in secret. And more than that, even the thoughts that are in your mind and in your heart that you don't tell anybody else, Jesus knows. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on and what's said in secret, so don't think that you can say it in secret and no one will know. Don't think you can do it in secret. You know, the specific sin that is going to be mentioned here is a sexual sin. And it always happens at night, undercover, behind a locked door. 
in an undisclosed location. But Jesus knows. And not just that, it says he has feet of burnished bronze. What is that? What is that like? Well, his feet uh, are heavy. His feet trample. And when Jesus died on the cross, he trampled sin underfoot. And he has the power to punish evildoers, those who persist in sin. And so this is a warning for the church. Now, let us stand together and pick it up in verse uh, uh, 19 there, and we'll read the next paragraph. Okay? So this is the Lord's Word, and this is what the Spirit says to the church of Thyatira. He says, I know your works. I love your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus, we want to be the church that lasts. Lord, we want to be the church that never dies. We want to be the church that beholds the morning star at the end of a long night. Lord, we want to persist in the things of you rather than the things of Satan. Lord, purify your church. Make us holy as you are holy. Father, take your word now and use it as that sharp, double-edged sword that pierces deep within us. Remove what's not of you. Implant what is of you. Make us like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see the Lord Jesus always begins with the compliment. Anytime he's going to correct, he begins with the compliment. Remember, that's important for you as well. That's a great principle for you to to speak compliments and encourage twice as much, three times, five times as much as you correct. Amen. I I think that when, when people do that and they correct in love that way, we receive their correction, don't we? If they come to us and they correct us and they never tell us what we've ever done good and they just tell us all how wrong we are, we don't want to listen. And so Jesus always begins with that. But the list is somewhat short when it comes to Thyatira. We've been going downhill and we hit rock bottom when we get to this church. It is a dying church. 
But let's hear the compliment first. He says, I know your works. They've done good deeds for the Lord. Your love, that the word there is agape. So they have love for one another. They have what the church of Ephesus was lacking because the church in Ephesus was lacking love for one another. They had, they had stood, withstood the test of time when it came to theological matters and doctrine within the church, but they lost their love for one another. The church in Thyatira, on the other hand, they had love for one another, but man, they were loosey-goosey when it came to doctrine and when it came to correcting those in the church that were in sin. Love This love exemplifies Christ's love, but did not exemplify the truth who Christ is. Faith they had as well. He says, I know your love and faith. Belief and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God. They had faith. But you realize faith can also exist in error. There can be error where there is faith. And so we have to be careful. I've heard people say, well, I know it's going to work out because I have faith. Faith in what? Well, we have faith in faith. I mean... Faith in what? Faith in Jesus is what we need. We need faith in who He is and what He did. We need faith in the truth of who Jesus is. So they had faith and they had service and patient endurance. Service, taking care of one another, doing ministry. They were doing good deeds. And yet they were still entertaining sin. And then patient endurance. Now there were some in the church that had not succumbed to the temptation to deny their faith because of persecution. Yet there were still others in the church that were giving in to the temptation to sin and the enticement of Jezebel. And then it talks about their latter words. In other words, that they started out small, and the deeds that they did started out small, and then they began to grow in their work for the Lord. So they began to do more than they had done before. And the Lord does want us growing. He wants us to, to be growing in truth and love at the same time. Some churches sacrifice truth for the sake of love, to be loving. They compromise on doctrine and truth so that they can show the whole world that we love them and they're welcome to come in, but we never tell them about their sin. Well, hey, there's a problem with that. And then other churches sacrifice love for the sake of truth. I mean, we, get, we take a hard line, a hard stance, and anybody who doesn't come toe the line, they're not welcome here. Well, where's the balance? The balance should be both truth and love in the church. The same. We should be speaking the truth in love, and in all things we grow up into the head. Who is Christ? And so Christ is that perfect balance of truth and love for us. So we see the church is complimented on some of these things. But then verse 20 takes a hard left turn. But I have this against you. What is it that you tolerate that woman Jezebel? Now before we get into what the complaint is about, we really need to... Look at who Jezebel is. The Reverend R.G. Lee preached a famous sermon, Payday Someday, and whenever he did, he described Ahab as the toad that squatted on the throne of Israel. 
In Ahab's rebellion against God, he married the Phoenician woman Jezebel. Now, whether this Jezebel here in the New Testament, that was her given name from her mother. I don't know what in the world the mother was thinking to name their daughter Jezebel. I think it's probably a description of the type of woman that she was rather than her actual name. But can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> the mother, I mean, she, she named that daughter Jezebel. She probably named her other son Judas, and she probably named the other one Satan. I don't know, but because she's right up there at the top with the rest of them. Jezebel was a wicked woman, and she led Ahab to worship Baal. She murdered the prophets of God by the hundreds. You think about this, murderous woman. Here's, here is Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down fire from heaven. The Lord comes down and consumes the, altar, the offering and licks up the water in the trough and all of those things. And then he takes a sword, he and the faithful prophets, and they go through and they slaughter 450 prophets of Baal with the sword. And then Jezebel makes a threat, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And Elijah takes off running. Runs clear across the nation of Israel from one woman. One woman. But she's a wicked woman indeed. She also enticed Ahab to lie. Devised a plot to murder Naboth over his vineyard. You know, Remember, Naboth had a beautiful vineyard. And Ahab said, I want your vineyard. I'm the king and I should have whatever I want. There's the spirit of Jezebel right there. It's the spirit of Ahab, but it's the same spirit that's in Jezebel. It's a selfish spirit. Sinful desire that you allow to reign in your heart rather than the Lord himself. And he's the king and he should know better. And yet, he's enticed to lie, devise a plot to murder Naboth over his vineyard, and then steal the vineyard from Naboth, who was a righteous man. Because of his greed and selfishness, theft and murder, the prophet Elijah pronounced God's judgment over the house of Ahab. He said that it was all going to come to an end because of what Ahab had done. And he described a gruesome death for both Ahab and Jezebel. Said that they were going to fall down and die and that the dogs were going to lick up their blood from the ground. And the words of the prophet came true over the household of Ahab. Ahab was killed by a Syrian arrow that struck him as he was riding in his chariot, and the blood flowed down out of the chariot onto the ground, and he died right there in his chariot, and the dogs licked up his blood. Twenty years went on, and everybody wondered, well, what about Jezebel? And Jezebel was hiding in her tower, and God appointed Jehu, Jehu, who was basically the terminator, who went through the land of Israel, cleansing Israel of all of the Baal worship. And he came to the tower in Jezreel where Jezebel was seated up in the tower. And Jezebel looked out the, the tower and said, Yoo-hoo! And Jehu said, It's Jehu. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyway, um, and Jehu called up to the tower and he said, Anyone who's for the Lord, Yahweh, Cast that woman down. And two of those eunuchs who had undoubtedly been tortured 
years and suppressed for years by Jezebel, grabbed that woman up and tossed her out the window, and the Bible says she went splat. She died right there. When they went to collect the body, the dogs had eaten every bit of her flesh and bones except for her blood-stained hands and her poisonous head. And that's how she ended. And the Lord Jesus looks down on the church at Thyatira and he says the spirit of Jezebel is living in that church. And I believe the Lord Jesus looks down on many churches today and he says the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Ahab is alive in my church. And that church will die. Notice the downward progression that we have revealed here in the Scripture. The Lord Jesus is telling us about this spirit of Jezebel that's in the church who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. So you have first the toleration. It says, I have this against you. You tolerate her. There's a toleration of sin that is that first step down that slippery slope that when we begin to tolerate sin and we begin to tolerate sexual immorality or or lying or covetousness and we just allow it in and we give Satan that foothold, guess what? He's going to take the whole place. He's going, to, he's going to come in and He's going to reign in that place. So the church obviously had some indication that she was engaging in this immorality. It wasn't being done in secret. They knew what was happening. And they didn't say a word. And they allowed her to continue to teach in the church. John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. And so we get this warning from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What should the church have done? The church should have expelled this woman. And not just the woman, but her teaching And the practices that she was causing the church to engage in, the church should have said, no, it will never be part of our church. Let me tell you something about Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. We will absolutely never compromise our convictions about the Word of God and about doctrinal truth. We will stand on the Word of God as long as I'm the pastor here. And we will not quit until Jesus comes. And listen... And if you stand against the Word of God, the Word of God will war against you. And that's not something we will have in this church. We'll let you go. We'll let you go your way. Prayerfully, we won't have to do that. And what the Lord would have wanted more than anything, and He gave her time to, He said, time to repent. Matthew 18, we hear the words of Jesus, and He tells us what to do whenever someone in the church is sinning. He says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private, one-to-one. That means don't smear it all over town, gossiping and talking about it. You go directly to the person that you have the problem with. And that's what you do. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Praise God whenever a brother or sister is won. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you. 
so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. He doesn't say tell it to the world. (laughs) Tell it to the news reporters. Tell it to your auntie and your grandma and your cousins over in Texas. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him, to be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In Jesus' day, a Gentile and a tax collector, that was about the worst name you could call somebody. But on the other hand, as an unbeliever, someone who needs to hear the gospel and be born again. But instead, this church just swept it under a rug and tolerated the sin of Jezebel. And so then you see the teaching. And so now she's in the church and she's engaging in this immorality and this idolatry that leads to sinfulness uh, in the church that spreads like cancer, that spreads like gangrene. And she's teaching this. And, and it becomes, a, it's, a, it's okay for her to do it. And she's, look at her. Isn't she a great person? And it's okay for her to do it now. Well, I can do it too. And a whole generation of people are led into sinfulness because one woman is allowed to continue to teach her sinful immorality. So, in other words, you can find happiness in this lifestyle. You can have Jesus and your sin too. Remember last week we said you can't have Jesus and your sin too. And then just the total acceptance And so what is she found doing? She's seducing my servants, the Bible says, to practice sexual immorality. She's seducing. The last step down that slippery slope is sin of total acceptance. Notice that Jezebel had enticed the members to practice the sexual immorality. The toleration of sin leads to total acceptance of sinful behavior. That's why you and I have to be regularly practicing confession and repentance. How often do we sin? If we're honest, we'll say, I sin every day. So guess what you should also do every day? You should confess and repent every single day. Ask the Lord like David. Search me and try me, O God. See if there be any grievous way within me. And collectively as a church, we need to stop on a regular basis and say, Lord, what about us as a church? And you pray for your church and you say, Lord, help your church. May we repent of our sin. Too many Christians see a brother or sister in sin and they have a live and let live mentality with relationship with that person that live and let live mentality will always result in a live and let die reality because what you're going to do is you're going to allow your brother or your sister to wallow in their sin and eventually die there if you don't lift them out of it now jesus if you said what jesus said don't judge now jesus did say do not judge lest you be judged for the way that you judge the standard of judgment that you use to be used against you But on the other hand, Jesus said, take that log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's some judgment that has to take place there. There, And he did said, we already read in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him. 
And so we also bear the responsibility not just to examine our own hearts, confess and repent, but also to go to our brother and sister and say, hey, brother, I love you enough that I can't leave you there in that sin. I love you, sister. And God wouldn't want that for you. And we have that responsibility in the church. <laughs> Somebody said sin is like frogs in a jar. I remember my Taylor, he loved to collect frogs. Uh, Caleb loved to collect frogs. But I remember one day they had collected frogs and put them in a jar in the backyard and they didn't get the lid on tight enough. And guess what the frogs did? They, they got out of the jar. Well, sin is like frogs in a jar. It's gonna find, they're going to find their way out. They're going to be hopping all over the place before long. And because she refused to repent, the sin was hopping all over the church. And so we see the complaint. Now let's think about the consequences for just a moment. Verses 22 through 23. Look at it with me. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. And so the Lord Jesus is delving out judgment and what we have to remember is that judgment begins with the household of God. God starts at His church. We want to talk about God's judgment on the nation. What about God's judgment on the church in America? When God looks at His church, He doesn't see His church. He sees an abomination. He sees a church where He's not the head of the church anymore. And a church without a head, a body without a head is dead. And if you decide Jesus can reign in the church, and you can too, that's a church with two heads. And Adrian Rogers says that's an abomination. Church without a head is dead. A church with two heads is an abomination. And listen, when God comes and He looks down at the earth, guess who He looks at first? He looks at His children. He looks at His people. And so the judgment is pronounced on Jezebel. She will get sick and she will die. She has had time to repent, but she refused. But what about her companions? The Bible says they will go through great tribulation, which points to later on, chapter 7 of Revelation, the great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. It's a, it's a precursor to that, that these people within the church are going to suffer. Maybe they're going to get sick. Maybe they're going to go through some uh, times of, of, of difficulty within their life and loss within their life. And the Bible says that we ought to regard that as the discipline of God when those things happen to us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, sons and daughters? This is what God does to people that are his. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, notice what it goes on to say. It says, what, what does he want them to do? He wants them to repent. He says, I will th- uh, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. He desires repentance from these people. He wants you and I to repent of our sin. And then her children, 
It goes on to say, and I will strike her children dead. Well, who are her children? These are those who have learned from her and practiced her ways. They're doing the same thing she is doing. Not only are they practicing it, they're teaching it in the church. And though that sin's consequences are devastating. Someone once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin's always costly. Matthew 18, 8 through 9, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell fire. Now, we got to deal drastically with sin. We got to deal immediately with sin and not allow it to reign in our hearts and in our lives. Or else the consequences will be devastating. Now God allows us to taste just a little bit of the consequences of sin as His children so that we will repent. Now that's the reason why. He wants us to repent. He wants us to know, listen, if you're going through a hard time spiritually right now, you're going through a hard time and you feel distant from the Lord, that's the discipline of God saying to you, repent of your sin. Turn from it. Don't allow sin to reign in your mortal bodies. How can we allow it to reign whenever Jesus Christ died for it? Two things are mutually exclusive. You cannot have your sin in Jesus too. And he tells you to repent. I want you to think about how Caleb, I want you to watch how Caleb from the movie Fireproof dealt with the spirit of Jezebel that was threatening his marriage. Now, I've used this illustration many times before. I don't know if I've ever showed it here at this church, but I want you to watch uh, from the movie Fireproof. Now, some of you, it may not be a a dinosaur of a computer that you need to beat up. You need, might need to take that phone out of your pocket. Put some restrictions on it. Or maybe you need to let someone else have control over your checkbook. Maybe you need to delete your Facebook account. Or your Instagram account. And maybe you need to put that bottle away and never go... Smash that bottle and never go back by that store again. Whatever it may be, Peter said, repent. The times of refreshing may come from the Holy Spirit. If you want a great move of God in your life, you can't tolerate sin. If you want to continue to survive, you can't tolerate sin. The consequences are devastating and that's the command they needed to put away Jezebel, but then he goes on to say to those that have not gone off into her teaching and into her works. In verse 24, he says, I don't give you any burden other than to just hold fast. Verse 25, what do you have until I come? Hold fast. In other words, cling to Jesus. Listen, you can't have your sin and you can't. 
and Jesus too, but you can hold fast to Jesus. And he tells them to do that. Take pains to keep the church and its doctrines pure and hold on to that. And don't let immorality take over. And he says, until I come. Listen, it's going to be until Jesus comes back that we're commanded to do this. We can't stop until he comes. And Christians can never let their guard down. There's not a moment on this earth that you will ever be able to let your guard down. You've got to keep fighting. Romans 11, 2 through 4, Paul talks about the same situation where they have in Jezebel and Elijah, the prophet. He said, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So God knows that you're enduring right now. And he knows about your battle against sin. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel and he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. Is that true? No. He wasn't the only one dealing with it. And you're not the only one dealing with it. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 men plus their wives and their families. and So many, many people that are on God's side. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Listen, there's a remnant. Church, you are the remnant. If you continue on in faith, trusting the Lord. Who cares where the rest of the world goes? You belong to Jesus. And when he returns, what will he say about his church? Will he give a commendation, a compliment, or a complaint about Myrtle Grove Baptist Church? That's the question that you and I are going to have to answer. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he goes on to the consolation, and we'll finish up here in verse 26. It says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. See, there's going to be a day. You and I, not only will we reign with Christ, we will reign over the nations. If we put away sin and we allow Christ to reign in our hearts here on this earth, he'll give us a seat in heaven where we will reign with him. And then he goes on to say, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And we're going to take up a baseball bat <laughs> like Caleb. And we're going to rule. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father, Lord Jesus said, and in verse eight, uh, 28, and I will give him the morning star. Listen, why is the morning star so important? It marks the end of a long, dark night. Living in a world of sin. Living in a world of difficulty and heartache and pain. That morning star is coming for us folks. We're going to see it one day. And the morning star is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the Spirit saying to the church today? Repent. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be cleansed. Be made new. 
Repent so that times of refreshing may come. And listen, for some of you, it's been a long, 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 dark night. And you've been wrestling with sin. And the Lord Jesus is telling you that right here and right now today, if you will come and bow before the Lord, that he will cleanse you once and for all. Not that temptation will go away, but you can be made new in your heart. And you will have all of your equipment that you need to battle sin and defeat it. But you've got to repent. Change of mind that leads to a change of heart that results in a change of lifestyle. Can you do that? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you today, you're a Christian and you know you are, but you've been living in a way that the Lord would look at, He would say, I don't have much of a compliment here. I've got a complaint. And he wants you to get that right today. We're going to have the altar open. Any and everyone who would come, or if you just stay there in your, in your pew, but you do business with the Lord right there, you do that today. And don't leave here harboring sin in your heart. For some of you today, you've never repented of your sin ever before. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And right now, if you were to die, you would go to hell. But the Lord is calling you, and He's offering you His salvation that He purchased on the cross. And all He's asking you to do is turn from your sin and turn to Him in faith and ask Him to forgive you, and He will. He'll write your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you will spend eternity with Him. And if you desire that, He's offering it to you today freely. Pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've spent many years of my life doing what I know is wrong and failing to do what I know is right. But here and now today, I repent of my sin and I trust you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you were raised again on the third day. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Make me a new person. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for my salvation, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? This time of invitation is for you. If you've just asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. He's heard that prayer, and now it's time to celebrate. And we want to celebrate with you, so we're inviting you to come and join the family of faith. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. We want to welcome you, love you, pray for you, give you resources so that you can grow, offer you believers baptism to seal that commitment that you've made to Christ. If you're here today and this message has convicted you, this altar is open. And we're going to be here as long as it takes for every person to come.